Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Bennett, with co-host Patricia Glover-Howard. And hi, Patricia. Hello, Bernice. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, everyone. (laughs) Well, I am so happy to welcome the callers and chatters research at the National Archives and Beyond. This show will provide individuals interested in genealogy and history an opportunity to listen, learn, and take action. If you have logged in as a guest and you wish to participate in the chat, please sign in through Blog Talk Radio. Well, tonight's show will focus on writing and self-publishing your family stories with author of The Ancestors Are Smiling, Kathy Lynn Marshall. The Ancestors Are Smiling is a collection of uplifting, funny, touching, and sometimes harrowing life stories creatively told by Kathy Marshall's ancestors and their descendants. Now, these true stories are woven by Kathy with the African fabric of American historical events. Now, Kathy has been exploring her family roots off and on since 1976, and she used several effective techniques to write her book in a mere 10 months. That's right, 10 months from start to a published book on Amazon.com. She is a self-avowed missionary for family history, encouraging others to write their own family stories now. You hear me? Now. So Kathy has been the owner-author for her Kanika African Sculptures business since 1993, and Kathy will take us through her process 
of writing and self-publishing her book. So let me give a warm welcome to Kathy Kanika Marshall to Research at the National Archives and Beyond. Welcome, Kathy. Welcome, welcome. Thank you so much, Bernice. This is exciting. It's very exciting. I listen to you every week, and so I'm honored to be here. Well, it's an honor to have you, Kathy, because you are bringing in the new year, and you are here to tell all of the folks that have been researching and researching to start writing and telling their story. And so we want to hear just how you will recommend that they write and self-publish that family story. So let's start at your beginning. What motivated okay. you to write your book? Uh, I got old. No. <laughs> no, I hit a milestone okay. birthday. I, I hit a milestone birthday. I turned 60 in May 2016, and I was very happy about that, but in a way, I began to be uneasy because I realized I'm the fourth oldest person in my mother's family line. That means there are only three people older than me in my mother's Williams family line. And when you think of it in that way, the time is near, the time is short. My oldest elder, Charles Williams, was 92 when I started this process in May. And our family historian named Lovata Williams was 82 and my mother's only living sibling, Uncle Dale Carter, was 78. And unfortunately, um, great Uncle Charles is gone. He passed away a couple months ago. But it was after the book was published. So why I'm the missionary for family history stories now is just what happened in my family. We had a very few elders, and I wanted to be able to talk with them and get their life story so it could be uh, put into a book for the world to learn. I wanted him to know before he passed away that his life mattered and we will all be able to remember it. So that's why the doing it now part. Yeah, I really like that too. I mean, how many people have had the opportunity to grow old and never see that story in writing? But mm-hmm. you had yep. the foresight to say, let me, let me go ahead on and put this in writing. I mean, they're growing old so that at least one of them can see that story Mm -hmm. in writing. So go ahead on. Well, I'm awfully embarrassed, really, because the way you just put it sounded like, oh, she saw what she needed to do and she did it. And I would feel (laughs) badly if the audience doesn't understand that I've been working at this for 40 years. I've been trying to find something for 40 years. Really, Mm -hmm. since 1976, and it's been hard, really hard. And I've tried many times. I I really wanted to find the enslaved ancestors, our Williams ancestors. Um, So so great-uncle Charles that passed away recently, his grandfather was the slave. And so I was trying to find out information on the slave answers and got nowhere. And then I was trying to figure out, well, how do I write about my mother and my father who have passed on and my grandparents and, of course, you know, the great-grandparents? How do I do that? And it's crazy because that's what I did for a living. I was a technical writer. I was a researcher analyst for 36 years for the California Highway Patrol. That's what I did. 
but I didn't mm-hmm. know how to connect with the genealogy. For some reason, I wanted to write stories that, you know, nice, fun stories, not just dates and technical stuff. I wanted something that the grandkids would love to hear and the elders would love to read and other people working on their books would be interested in seeing. And I didn't know how to do that. And uh, so anyway, I got more and more uneasy as the summer went on in 2006. And then in our Black Ancestry Facebook page, I don't know if you guys out there know about this or not, but there are a lot of genealogy pages for African-American genealogy. My favorite is Our Black Ancestry. And I saw an advertisement from Anita Henderson. I think you had Anita on recently. Yes, definitely. That's right. She was advertising advertising her genealogist writing room for um, October 1st. She was going to have a webinar, and she was going to teach us how to write our African-American family stories. And I said, well, that's what I want. I want. I need to know how to do a story you know, a novel, a story, something descriptive. And so I tuned in on October 1st and had that lady blow my mind, blow my mind away with teaching me how to get started. And if I may share just the two things that I needed, I just needed a little push, and she gave me the push. Number one, everyone says this, write what you already know. You, you know, you know. I know about myself, I know about my parents, I know a little about the grandparents, write what you already know. Have you heard that before? Oh, absolutely, yes. I heard it. I didn't know what it meant until she explained it. The way she explained it and the fact that I was ready to hear it. I was ready to hear it. That is important. <laughs> the ancestors were talking to me for months. I was ready to hear it. So, fine. Write what you already know. And then the second thing that was really important, she said, even if you never find the answers to all of your questions, write about it anyway. You know, a lot of people don't get started because we don't know the end of the story. We don't know the answer. We don't know the slave master. We don't know the parents. We don't know anything. So we don't start. And she said, go ahead and start. Write about what you tried. And then you can just say at the end of your book, okay, Edition two is going to explore these other questions. So she gave me permission internally to get started, and from that point on, I was able to take it and run with it. So um, that's, that was the motivation is get it started now, and by October 1st, 2016, I knew how to start it, and I started it. Okay. Right. And I think that's good advice to write what you already know and to write it anyway. <laughs> because mm-hmm. you'll just wait. You just keep waiting and waiting and researching and digging into documents where mm-hmm. the story might be right there. But yeah. you're spending so much time in in the research, in the gathering of yeah. the information, rather than yeah. the telling and the sharing of the information. And mm-hmm. so when you talk about writing that family story, let's see if, if everyone that's listening tonight could be motivated to, to write that story. So mm-hmm. why don't you provide us with an overview of your process for gathering okay. information for this book? Okay, great. Number one, I think the most important thing is you have to change your mindset. 
A lot of us say, oh, I want to write a book. I want to write a book about my family. Oh, yes, I've gathered this data, and I want to look into our slave ancestors. I'm going to write a book. I want to do it. No, no, no. You have to need to write the book now. There's a difference. There's a mindset. Um, yes. I started looking at this project like an assignment from my old boss. I'm retired now, thank goodness. Woo! Um, I try. I started to look at the book. Writing a book is an assignment that I must do. It's my boss is now the ancestors. I must complete it. I must complete it within a time frame. I can't let it go five years, ten years, twenty years. I need to have it finished instead of oh, I want to write a book. You see the difference? Anyway, yes. That's, mm-hmm. that's number one. And then number two is focus on one family line. And so I wanted to focus on the Williams line. I didn't want to focus on the Myers and the Bookers and the Carters, just the Williams. Um, and, and so I really wanted to look at Otho Williams, our slave ancestor. And so I, I got a focus. And my goals, I set up actual goals like I would for any other project at work and in my life. I'm a goal-oriented person. My goal is to find my enslaved second great-grandfather, Otho Williams' parents, and his slave owner. And I was going to do it during standard genealogy as well as DNA testing. And also, I wanted to write biographies and stories of his descendants, the descendants of the slaves. And so I had some real strong goals in mind. And this is all October 1st, 2016 that I'm talking about. Now, here's the key. Here's the key. So, so this is to everyone out there that has two chapters written, has two paragraphs written, has nothing written. This, this is the next step. This is, this is how to make it happen fast. You create a book format now. So what that means is that, like, after we get off the phone, on your computer, open a new word processing document. If you use Microsoft Word, that's fine. I have an Apple machine, so I use Pages. But open up a new document and save that document with the name of your book. Um, And if you don't know the name of your book, just save that document as my book. And maybe add the month and day. It's like a revision date. And save it. Just save it. Now, open up that new document. And the very first page is a blank page, right? So that's going to be your title. That's going to be your title page. So type the name of your book on that first page. Again, if you don't know the name, just put my book and type your name underneath. This is the first page of your actual book. This is going to be what you're going to be printing. So this, And, and what I'm telling you is not what you have to do. It's simply how I did it, and it works. And so I just kind of... Uh, and, and suggesting maybe give it a try. It's really easy to, to, to do this, to start this off. So the first page is your title page. Insert a page break. You know, get to that second page. Create a second page. Make sure you have a second page showing. That's going to be your copyright page. So just type the word copyright on page two. Page three is going to be your dedication page. If you want to dedicate the book, like I dedicated this book to my parents, Page four is a blank page. Page five is your table of contents. Now, I'm getting this from, uh, I had purchased a lot of books from other authors 
group are doing the similar things, right? African Americans doing genealogy research with slave research. And I look through their books to see how they ordered their books. So that's where I'm getting this. So page five is table of contents. Um, I don't know how familiar everyone is with word processing, but they have a feature called styles, and that helps you determine if you have a really big font on your chapter headings or you know, just the size of your font, the type, et cetera. They're called styles. And if you set it up correctly, your table of contents will be updated automatically as you add pages, as you add chapters. Um, again, if, if that doesn't make any sense, um, they can contact me on Facebook and I'll explain it more. But page six is your acknowledgments page where you thank people who have helped you. And I've had so many people who have helped me on this journey. Bernice, you were one when I came to Maryland to do uh, research on where my family came from, and you helped me and a lot of other folks. Um, page seven is an introduction page, and that explains what your book is about. Um, I encourage people to write their introduction early in the process. As you're thinking about what you want your book to be, write it down in the introduction. And, and the reason I say that is because as you get into it, and I think you may have found this, Bernice, maybe not, as you get into writing your book and getting more and more data, you kind of forget what you originally were planning to do with your book, and it gets out of hand. So the suggestion is to start writing your introduction early on, what you want the book to be about, and refine it as you go along. You can add a timeline if you want. Um, it's optional. But then you get into the chapters. And so using uh, what, what folks have said, start with yourself first. In my case, chapter one became the story of my life. Chapter two was the story of my mom's life. Chapter three would be the story of my dad's life, etc. And your book may be different, but it's the basic framework that I'm trying to get across. If you just go ahead and put it together on a new document, all the way through your chapters, you can have an epilogue or, or a conclusion page. You can have appendixes. You can have bibliography, endnotes, all that stuff. You can have on separate pages in your brand-new book and save it. And that's how you start. And ideally, um, even if you've already got something that you've started printing, like say you have two chapters. You already have a chapter about your mother. Copy it and paste it into your new chapter, you know, that you just created. Start writing in your book. Is that, am I making any sense? Or, or? Well, yes, because what you have done is given them the structure of what a book should look like. But the table yes. of contents, and while well, even going back to the title page and the, the table of contents, you're pretty much saying this is what I want my book to include. Yes. And so you're filling in the blanks by going through the chapters once you have your table of contents uh, developed or at least your outline. Now, did you put together an outline before you even yes. wrote your goals or did you write your goal first and then say, this is what I want in my book? Honestly, um, because I taught a class for 10 years at the Highway Patrol, I used my process. And the process is a uh, what I call a framework. And in that framework, I put the overall steps that I would follow. So in this case, it would be even uh, further up or further broad, broader than the outline. 
Okay, so initially I'm going to set up my book format. I'm going to get that ready to go. Then I'm going to write a lot of questions that I want to answer. And um, so I went, I went all the way through that I would then learn what self-publishing is. I would take a class in self-publishing. I need to learn this. I need to do this. And I would write all these steps down that I had to do. I actually have all those steps in um, the second, second book. But it's an overall framework for the whole project, everything I have to learn. And so I did that first. Writing an outline was one of those steps of the framework. The outline became the actual book. So that's, okay. that's mm-hmm. so I called my book format that I just shared with you, title, acknowledgments, all that stuff. That is my outline. That's how I did it. Then within each chapter, let's say chapter one is going to be my chapter, so I did an outline just for my chapter. So I decided to start chronologically because it's just easier to start that way. So I put in the outline, birth, and then I would have, you know, appropriate information there. Oh, I want to talk about how I was born in Cleveland, but how we got to be in Seattle, Washington. And I put those down in just bullets. Just don't worry about perfect sentences. Just get her done. Get her down on the paper. Mm -hmm. Just basic ideas. So I did the outline for each chapter within the chapter. And a lot of that was initially just questions, just questions. Like part two was going to be the slave research. Part one was going to be the uh, stories of the descendants of the slaves. So within that, though, having your outline in your book, once you have, as you know, once you have an outline, you just start filling it in. You fill in. You just get more and more detail. The outline is key. Once you get your outline done, it becomes so much easier. It doesn't mean you can't change it. But anyway, so... Um, in, in the book that I wrote, The Ancestors Are Smiling, I have some of that information in there as to ways that you can start structuring it. Um, so, but, but what I was so excited about is once you have that book framework, you have the name of your book, you can see it filling out. So when people say, oh, what have you been doing? I'm writing a book. And you really are because you can see it. And it looks like a book, Right. You've got the title yes. and the copyright page. You can fill those in as you go along. So keep filling it in. As you fill in, um, you can start sharing it with people. Get people to look at maybe a chapter here and there. It's kind of a, a, a kind of an edit, a review. Find out, does it make sense? Do you need to add mm-hmm. more detail? Do you need to add more picture? I use a lot of graphics. Because a lot of us can understand better if we see a picture, if we see a chart, or if we see, you know, see something other than just words. As you know, this genealogy stuff can get complicated and confusing. Yes. Mm-hmm. When you have mm-hmm. a bunch of words. So go ahead and have some folks edit. And, and I was fortunate to have many people who volunteered to edit. And I just gave them a chapter at a time. I didn't give them the whole book except for Denise Griggs. Thank you so much, Denise, for doing that for me. <laughs> um, but, but, but try to just, as you're adding more and more information, and this is another thing I read from a fellow who was at Roots Tech a few years ago. He recommended that you write your book as you are doing your research. So as I find these momentous, wonderful documents, I write about it right away because I want to share my excitement. I want to share my uh, disgust, 
you know, when I found something terrible that was done to one of my ancestors. I want to share, and for me, it's when it's raw is when I want to write it. And mm-hmm. I have a place to read it now. I write it right in the book. I just go to the right chapter, the chapter that concerns what I'm uh, working on. Write it in there. You can always modify it later, but write your raw emotions. When you're interviewing um, you know, your, your grandmother or whomever you're interviewing or writing about, go ahead and write how you feel about that. Write what they looked like when you were interviewing them. What were, how were they, where were they sitting? And you're really good at this, Bernice, describing the scene you know, the room, what the room looked like and smelled like. You know, write it as you're thinking about it. So anyway, that's that's the main main deal as you're writing. Go ahead. Sorry. So what would you consider challenges that family historians may face in writing and telling their stories? Um well I think a lot of folks don't even know their father. Who's their father? They don't know who their grandparents are. And if you don't even know that basic, it's really hard to find. And so they almost are forced to do DNA testing to find out that information before they can even go further, I think. Uh, but the biggest elephant is most of us don't know the slave owner's name. If, you know, what, 80 or 90% of our relatives, our ancestors were slaves, African Americans, depending on which statistic you're looking at. So most of us have some slave ancestry, and the biggest elephant is a lot of us don't know the slave owner name. And if you don't know the slave owner, you don't know where your people were, what they did, you know. So to me, that's really, really hard is being African-American and having slave background because we were just property. We didn't have last – many of us did not have surnames that were in documents, um, we don't see those cute little green leaves in Ancestry.com. I didn't see a green leaf until 2012 when I guessed at a white person that might have been uh, father of some of our folks. And then I started seeing green leaves when I plugged him into our family tree. So it's harder for us to find data because many of our ancestors were not documented correctly or well, weren't documented in a way that we can see it. Then a lot of those records are not available online, and you have to hand search. Um, FamilySearch.org is really good, though, about having a lot of files online, but you do have to go through them one at a time. <laughs> so yeah. that's one that's one challenge. But what about those people who will say, "Well, I don't know anything. No one told me anything," mm-hmm. or they don't remember? Uh, mm-hmm. But they they do have a story, but they just can't mm-hmm. figure out. Well, what's the angle? Where should I go with this story? Well, you know, a lot of folks, um, and and you know, as there are many folks that teach how to write and how to interview folks, because a lot of times, especially with elders, they don't remember your specific question. But if you get them started talking about some odd thing. Oh, um, what was that? Let's see. Didn't you tell me once that you had a friend, a good friend, that would come by your house after school? And what what did you say your mom used to make? So um, dance around the questions that you really want. Dance around them and get the the older folks, I generally say. It could be anyone, though. Um, Just try to have a conversation initially and then try to pick at the questions that you want answers to. But try to dance around 
Um, because sometimes when you mention another story, they'll remember. So yes. I don't know if that answered your question. But there yes, are lots it of did answer. To, yes, to, it, it did answer the question because I, I've even been in situations where I've talked to people about their family history, and the first thing they'll say is, I don't know anything. Nobody told mm-hmm. me anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then if you start saying, well, what church did you go to? Did they go to church? Yes. What, who came to the house? What kind of food did mm-hmm. you eat? I mean, there's a right. whole lot that you can tell about your family, even if you, as you said, one of the challenges is the research and finding the slave, the enslaved person in the family. But uh, there's a lot that has happened in the family prior to slavery or finding the enslaved ancestor, you know. So there's several different angles that people may want to take when they consider writing a family history and sharing that family history. What what I usually do is I, I am as prepared as I can be. So I've already done as much research as I can to look at the census records, bills of sale, probate records, all that stuff. So I've already in my mind got an idea of what the facts are. And so if I'm talking to someone and dancing, dancing around, dancing around, trying to see if I can get quality. And this did happen to me when I was trying to do all these family stories because I only have, again, three people left when I was doing this. And I'm asking them the same questions because I'm trying to build the story about my grandmother Carter, Pertle Carter. How did she meet her husband? the one that came in and made all those babies and would, it would come in and make the baby and then leave. How did they meet? So I'm asking all these different folks who are still alive, just uh, not, I, I would ask that directly, but then I, w- I know that, okay, well, she was in Dayton, Ohio. What was she doing in Dayton, Ohio? How did she get to Dayton? Do you remember what? So I had to dance around all these other questions, knowing where I actually wanted to get. And mm-hmm. a lot of times it would bring fruit. It would work. And maybe they didn't remember my specific, what year did she meet her husband? But they knew, well, she did work for so-and-so in Dayton. She was cleaning houses after high school. I remember that now. So I had to um, do a lot of that to get these stories. And then I would write. I would write up a story and then pass it to them. I would say, would you please read this and see if this seems reasonable, if this could have happened this way, or is there something else? that I'm missing. Yes, yes. So really they have to home in on their interviewing skills and yes. and then their listening skills <laughs> to yes. to make yes. sure that they're catching catching the other that's going to come out when someone begins to share a part mm-hmm. of the story or they are also telling a story and it's catching them as they tell the story. Mm-hmm. So that you can turn around and become the translator or the writer of the story. Yeah. Well, Kathy, we're going to take a quick break. Come right back and continue this discussion, okay? Okay. Okay.
welcome back to Research at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and you can join me every Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, where I will have an expert to share resources, stories, and answer your burning genealogy and history questions. Remember, all of my guests share a deep passion and knowledge of genealogy and history. All of my shows are available as a podcast immediately after the broadcast, and they can be downloaded from Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, TuneIn.com, and Stitcher.com. Well, you have been listening to Kathy Marshall, the author of The Ancestors Are Smiling. And Kathy has just provided us with really a process for getting started with writing your family history story. Well, Kathy, now take us through the self-publishing part of writing the family history story. Okay, sure. So, yeah, there are there are um, in in California. We have a group called California Lawyers for the Arts, and they give all kinds of classes. And I took a self-publishing class uh, from them, and they talked about the pros and cons of doing it different ways in different companies. So with self-publishing, basically that means you have some kind of document on a computer that you upload to a service that will print it for you. And it's um, the ones that I use, I use two of them. There's lulu.com, that's L-U-L-U.com. And I encourage people to just get an account, it's free, but get onto lulu.com and see what it is that they offer. But basically, you upload your, um, your book, and that's why I'm suggesting that you put it in this book format. You'll have to create a PDF. And again, I'm not sure how much people know about computers, but you'll have to export your book into a PDF form, and that just means the words cannot be changed by anybody else. You'll upload it to one of these services like lulu.com, and you can create a cover for your book, using that service. It's, it's free. It's all free. And um, lots of people will help you. There are lots of questions and answers, lots of examples. They'll help you with the price and, and all that. So there's, there's that one. Lulu.com is what I first used. And I ended up, um, uh, there are lots of considerations, but a lot of it you'll just have to read. Initially, I'm just giving you uh, some highlights and some recommendations for, for looking at it. But once your, your manuscript is uploaded to one of these services, if you want to sell the book, you don't have to. If you just want to print a book for yourself, you can do that. Um, but if you want to sell it to other people, you will have to get what's called an ISBN number. And on the back of every book, on the back of every item you buy in a grocery store, there's this barcode and it's got you know these vertical black lines, and that's called uh, an ISBN number, and that will be uh, something that will be defined directly to your book. So if you sell it in a store, if you sell it on Amazon.com, which is what I wanted to do, they will know, oh, this number means it's your book. It's this person's book. And you need to have that if you're going to sell it. There's lots of information in Lulu.com, and there's another company I used called CreateSpace. Dot com, 
createspace.com is actually amazon.com's baby. So uh, I ended up printing my book through createspace.com. But anyway, both of these services provide a similar service. They both allow you to do book covers yourself. And I'm I'm a control freak, so I really like to have things in my control. They also help you with copywriting your work in that um, copyright will be one of your pages. That will be page two. And they have information, questions, and answers on every aspect of the self-publishing process, both of them, lulu.com and createspace.com. So once you've uploaded your book, you've uploaded your cover, both the PDFs um, to whichever service you choose, you then have to write an online description because a lot of us surf the Internet and we get onto Amazon.com and you know, we might plug in, oh, I want to look at all the genealogy books that are available. So there has to be a description of your book that someone can look at. And they say, oh, that looks really good. I want to buy that book. So you'll have to prepare an online description. And all I did is I used, um, when I created the cover for my book, on the back of most book covers, there's information about the book. Hopefully it's catchy. Hopefully it makes you want to buy the book or at least see more. And that's all I used for my online description. And then you have to decide on how much do you want your book to be. And again, both of these services will have lots of information that will help you make that decision. But basically, I would go to a bookstore and find out, well, what are books like yours selling for? If you have a 200-page book, what are most of them selling for? If they're 9 inches tall by 6 inches wide, which is the size of my first book. My second book is going to be big. It's going to be 11 and a half by, uh, excuse me, eight and a half by 11 on the slave research. But you have to decide on your retail price. And <laughs> uh, hello, I don't know if you know this, but you probably won't get rich writing your own books. Some do. <laughs> Some make it on the bestseller list. But, but if your retail price is $20, just don't expect that that will be what you receive because there's a heavy commission from these services, they take a lot. And if you have a publisher, the publisher will take an awful lot of each price of the book. So, And if you do a Kindle book, you will not get very much money in your bank. So understand that, but just, just play around with it. Uh, the retail price is whatever you choose. You can make your book $100 if you want to, and you can make it $8 if you want. Keep in mind, it costs money to print it. So anyway, these services will help you decide and determine what is good for you. Excuse me. So once you get all that done, your book is ready to print, and I suggest that you order an advanced reader copy to review. Basically, it's a copy of your book, exactly as it is. It's it's final. Excuse me again. And so once you do that and you get the advanced reader copy, then you are an author. I mean, you can see it. You can touch it. And so that's so I have I one question for you uh-huh. because there's a yes. piece of the process that I did not hear, and that's the use of a professional editor. <clears throat> Thank you. Yes. So I didn't um, I didn't put that in there. Sorry. So yes, actually, it, there, there's even more in the previous part. So when you you're working on your manuscript, you're getting a bunch of your friends or whatever to do some basic reviews and edits just to get an idea of if it makes sense. 
So once you feel comfortable and you have all your citations perfectly cited, at least as far as you can, you've got your bibliography done, you're ready to print your book. You should take it and send it to a professional editor. Now, here's, here's what happened to me. Um, at, uh, excuse me. A professional editor, a copy editor, a copy editor especially, is going to make sure that all things, all words are spelled correctly, that the citations are perfectly um, uh, formulated, that your biography is correct, that the layout is correct. They will even make suggestions on making changes to your text if you wish them to do that. Um, and so the problem is that those copy editors, the ones that I tried uh, to find, require two to three to four months with your book to do a really good job. And what happened to me is that I started writing the book October 1st. I had about 500 pages in my book by the end of May, I believe, 2017. I had a good friend of mine, thank you so much again, Denise Griggs, who um, agreed to read the whole thing, the whole book, the slaves, the stories of the the uh, descendants of the slave. It was huge. DNA, a whole part on DNA research and, and analysis. And she felt like I had always kind of felt there are two books. We've got folksy, down-home stories of the descendants of the slave, and then we've got some fairly heavy-duty research on the slave side. So we decided to split the book into, or I decided to split the book into, and then I decided to publish the um, the ancestors are smiling separately. I decided to publish that first, and then when I uh, uh, tried to get an editor, a copy editor, oops, let me back up. I decided to publish it first. I t I got an advanced reader copy printed out, and I was so happy and excited. I put it on Facebook. Look, I've got an advanced copy of my book. And I had a wonderful opportunity that came my way from the Elk Grove Fine Arts Center. They said, oh, would you like to participate in our book signing September 2nd? We have to have all of your books in August, though, you know, a stack of books in August. And so when I tried to get a professional editor, they needed three months. I didn't have three months. I have an opportunity to participate in a book signing, an official book signing, and I took it. So what I did is I, I just, again, I had some folks help me edit it. I did my best and went, it, went through it. But, yes, ideally you would have a professional editor that looks through your work before it is final printed. Absolutely. Okay. And then you, you mentioned Lulu. So is mm -hmm. Lulu where you uploaded your book or you uploaded your book to create space? I initially uploaded it to lulu.com. I got the advanced reader copy from them, and uh, it came in the mail, but their mailing service is slow. It took 10 days to get the book, and CreateSpace takes three to four days. And for me personally, the, the cover that I chose to do, because my mother was a professional artist, so on all of my books I'm going to have one of her art paintings as well as you know, some, some uh, pictures of, of the family members. And so when I got the initial cover from Lulu, it was shiny and it didn't work for me. And so CreateSpace offered a matte finish. 
And so I decided, well, let me try that. Some of the authors that I admire use CreateSpace. So I thought I would try and upload my book to CreateSpace, see what that was like, and also see the quality of the book. Lula's quality is fine. It's just for the particular cover that I chose, it did not look good and glossy. And I'm a glossy girl, but it didn't look good to me. And the Create Space cover, I love. You feel that? You know, did you did you notice, Bernice? Um, yes, I Bernice see has, it. Yes, Bernice has mm-hmm. a copy of the book, and you feel it, and it's so soft and smooth, and I loved it. So there are two main differences there. Um, I really like the matte finish, and so I went with Create Space. And of course, they send the books quickly, really quickly, and and it's Amazon.com's baby, so it's really easy. You can get on Amazon.com with either one. And so with my second book, I'm, I'm going to try Lulu again because their, their fees are far less than CreateSpace, meaning you get more in your bank with Lulu. So I'm going to try it for the second book and just see what happens. But, but you know, one of the I'll things get- about both, both of these companies, though, they are on demand. They are on demand, and it's fabulous. So, mm-hmm. well, to me it's fabulous. Now, I order 40 at a time um, just, you know, because I, some people they order 100 or 500 or whatever. I didn't know how it was going to go. So I thought, well, the first batch I'll do 40, and that, that went really fast. So I had to do a second batch of 40, and now I've got to do, I think I'm going to try a batch of 50 now. Um, but, but you can order on demand. So a single person can like if if you choose to market your book on amazon.com you you know anybody I'm sure you've all done amazon.com with something just type in the name of the book it shows up it has um the information about the book whatever you've chosen to put in there and they can buy it right then it will be printed and they'll have it in their inbox in their mailbox in 4 days you now, know, so I have two questions is. for you right now. First of all, there's a question, how much does a publisher take, and what what is the average commission uh, per per book, let's say, through CreateSpace? Okay. Um, I think, I, you know, I don't have the exact, but you have, uh, it depends on how you market on CreateSpace. So if you have something that, say, Eighteen, nineteen, twenty dollars retail. You might get seven. So whatever that difference is, it's a lot, isn't it? So they take out the price to print it because there is, you know, it's four to five dollars to print the book, and they take out and now they're charging shipping on top of whatever your your you know your 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 basic price is. Um, but you don't get very much. And with Lulu, okay. I think they. I think you would get more, but it depends. You could get $11 depending on if you use, they, they have a store that you can put your book on. I have not yet investigated how to do that. And then what you can do is just, this is what I do most often, truly. I just print. I print 40 books at a time. I, I, I sell them myself. I sell them off my website. I sell them at okay. I sell them myself, and that's what I would recommend. Absolutely. Now, also, the question is, if someone self-publishes, they still have to put out money. What would you consider the average amount of money that a self-publisher should be prepared to pay 
to have a book self-published? There's no money. It's just the money for what it costs to print it. It's really lucrative. It's really, it's, no, there's, no, there's, so, there's, there's, again, there's different ways you can do it. I choose to purchase. I order, like, 40 at a time. So, if each book costs me $5 to print, then I would pay that much. So I'm paying 40 uh, for 40 times 5 is $200, as an example, for the book. So I got a box of books they're already paid for. I can sell them for whatever I want to pay. But on the back, the, the barcode says it's $18.34. But you can choose to sell it for whatever. If I take my books to a bookstore, you know they will want, a certain percentage, but if I sell them directly off my website, nobody else is, you know, it's just me. It just, so that's the advisable way is to buy a batch of books and sell them yourself off your website. That would be the best way if money is an issue. If, If that's one of your main goals, that's not one of my main goals. My main goal is to get the stories out there. So I'm willing to put it on Amazon.com and let them take, you know, a bunch of a bunch of it. A publisher, I've been told, since I don't have a publisher, but I've been told you may get two dollars out of eighteen dollar book. I don't know, but that's what I've been told is you get very little from a publisher because we're right. doing a lot of the, the royalties from it. Yeah, I love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, and so. I've been told, and this and this is by the the legal class, the the California Lawyers for the Arts that told us that they give us all kinds of different options. There are other book publishers out there that um, do cost money that you would pay a fee, two thousand dollars, three thousand, eight thousand dollars, for them to take your book and you know print it, market it, all that stuff. I didn't want to do that because I wanted the stories out there, and I wanted to do it in as economical a fashion as possible. I'm cheap. I'm a very cheap person. That's how I was able to retire early, because I'm frugal. And so if doing it through CreateSpace or Lulu.com can get a book that is a quality book, and I can get it on Amazon.com, that's my goal. My goal is to get their stories out there. And so for me, that works out. But for other folks, it doesn't. Now, I probably am not going to be on the bestseller list, but that's not my goal necessarily. Yes, I want them out there, but it does anyway. I understand. So because you are an author and you've published your first book, The Authors Are Smiling, why don't you take us through that book, at least Give us just a hint as to what's in that book and, and even read a section that may inspire us to do what you have done and that self-publish a book. Okay. Well, what I'm really, really happy with is I pressed and I stretched myself, and this is not a technical book. This is a book of down-home stories, and each chapter is a different character, a different ancestor of mine, Most of them are gone, unfortunately. And so they're written from the point of view of that person. So what I did is at the start of each chapter, and I'm going to use my great-uncle Charles, who just passed away because he's just so special to me. I did not get his story until July 3rd, which was the deadline to get the book printed. 
so it would be printed in time for the book signing um, in September. So Charles Elmer Williams, I have a picture of him on the first page, so you can know. And it says, from the mouth of Charles Elmer Williams. So this is the first thing he writes. Born in 1924 in Mount Vernon, Ohio, I was a typical boy who liked to play football and basketball. My friends and family also looked forward to skating on Monday nights, which was the only time black people were allowed in the skating rink. Many other businesses were segregated as well, especially restaurants like the Alcove. My mother usually took me to the movies on Fridays, which was her day off. Like other segregated places in town, blacks were supposed to sit in specified areas. In the movie theater, our area was on the left side, near the back. My indomitable mother, however, always sat wherever she felt like sitting, and she took me with her. Nobody dared say anything to Mrs. Myrtle Booker Williams, perhaps because she did laundry for many of the white people in town, or perhaps because she exuded an inner confidence that would not be challenged. She demonstrated an important lesson to me about standing up for our rights. That's the first chapter in his book. Now, if you've ever heard of The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks, yes. where mm-hmm. a black woman's cells were taken for cancer research, he is the medical pioneer in this book, 1946. Something similar happened to him. And, but, but in his case, because he was in the Navy, they asked him, do you want to participate in this trial? We don't know if your life will be saved or not. But he was given the choice, and thank goodness he took the choice, and he became one of the very first people to survive tuberculosis from wow. this new cure. So, wow. so it's stories like that. And then um, just one more, if I may. So, so each chapter, sure. again, ancestor and my mom's side of the family. I have a chapter. I have the last chapter. My sister and brother in the last chapter. My sons are in the last chapter. It shows, you know, why I, I was so interested in this in 1976. I have a chapter on my mother. I have a chapter on my father, who was the most confident black man I have ever seen. To have grown up in Cleveland, Ohio, and to be so, uh, it's just amazing. So it tells, and it it has information about his family, my grandparents on his side. My grandmother, Pearl Carter, she was a typical black woman. And in the middle of Ohio, Mount Vernon, Ohio, 1% was black. In Mount Vernon, Ohio, the only thing you could be as a black woman was a laundress, a cook, or a domestic employee. And so her story is a little sad, but but it's, it's true. It's what it is. And at the end of the book, at the end of her chapter, she talks about her children and her descendants and how they, um, you know, by her example of tenacity, they grow, grew into machinists and engineers and just fabulous, fabulous. And so I like that, that chapter because it's, it, it's hard. But her sister, Reba Williams, lived to be 107 years old. And if I may just read one paragraph, I know we're getting close. Um, I don't know why everybody's making such a big deal about me getting my high school diploma at 106 years of age. Jay Leno told my story one night on his TV show after the Associated Press had broadcast my story all over the newswires in America. And can you believe that Essence Magazine put a picture of me, Reba Williams, in their December 2013 edition? 
see, I'm sitting up in my bed in my white cap and gown. It was all too much hullabaloo, just the same old, same old to me. So Reba Williams, typical black woman, just, you know, she, she was a, it's amazing to me. I've got a picture of her. She really was in Essence Magazine, a picture of her sitting in her bed at 106. And the story about how she got her high school diploma at 106 is crazy. She was a stubborn, spunky lady. <laughs> but but, it but I love it. I love it the way you tell it because the way you just shared it, it's like we were listening to her voice. Yep. And I knew her. I, I interviewed her on the phone, but I visited her many times. Most of my family's in Ohio, okay, so in, in Mount Vernon, Columbus. I was born in Cleveland, so most of the family. So I had the opportunity to, she's the mother of our family historian, Nevada Williams. And so uh, she's a regular black woman, but she also was a cook for a Pulitzer Prize winning author. And it's incredible to me, and that's why I want so much to get across to folks. I really hope that you take this opportunity to write your family stories because everybody has a story. A regular person has something extraordinary that happens, good or bad. Everybody has something. If you can find that something, that would be great. And if I can um, say just one more thing. Writing a book like this. Well, while you while you're waiting to say something, we do have a question here. How do you oh, okay. manage privacy of living relatives with your need to write? Yes, it's a really good question. And what I chose to do is I wrote up the books and I made sure that if the, uh, I I made sure that living people read these chapters and approved mm-hmm. them, and I talked to them and I made sure they understood. It's the same thing with DNA. Um, I made sure they understand what this potentially could mean. Most of the folks in this book are not alive, but there is me, my kids, and it is a concern, um, but I didn't put that much. I didn't put their Social Security numbers in there. Um, It's really up to the person, and I ask them, please be sure you feel comfortable with this. Whatever you feel comfortable with as far as how much is in here, I'll do if you don't want your last name in there, you just want your first name, whatever, I'll do it. So I gave them the choice. I gave each living person the choice. Mm-hmm. Okay. So. And then there's just a comment, and this is from Susan. Mm-hmm. She's saying, this is a challenge to step up to the plate and write and self-publish family stories. This is interesting how Kathy did what she did. She's just commenting about you. Oh, cool. One thing, though, if it's too daunting to do a paperback book, there is another way that everyone can do it. Do you have Walgreens where you are, where you live? Do you have a Walgreens store? Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Bernice, have you ever heard? Okay. Everybody has a Walgreens on the corner, right? Walgreens and other stores like that publish books. They call them photo books, but what is your aim? It depends on what your goal is, your target audience. You can write a really lovely genealogy book, 20 to 30 pages long, on an individual person. I did it. I did biographies of my mother and my father using a photo book layout. It's like a digital scrapbook. You can put uh, pictures from your smartphone, upload those pictures. They're beautiful. You can write whatever text you want. You can take pictures of your census records. You can take pictures of all your official documents. It doesn't have to be corny. It doesn't have to be. It can be a beautiful genealogy book. And 
when it like I use Walgreens because they're right on my corner. I walk in, I upload my book. Again, I have it. I lay it out just like I want it. I tell it print, and in two hours I go pick up my bound book. It's a hard bound color book. And Walgreens, if you get on their website, uh, on their email list, they have forty percent off all the time. You can do all the time. Yes. Right, right. Walgreens, sometimes Shutterfly, sometimes Costco. I mean, they all have that uh, picture book uh, template that you can upload. Those. So that's a that's a good suggestion. Yeah, that is a really good suggestion. Now, Kath, uh, Kath, there's another question. Did you have a blog? I I start. I've had from my art business. I did have a blog. I had a couple of blogs. I had a few blogs, <laughs> and I did start one briefly for genealogy. But I only put one entry in there because I had that opportunity to to uh, print this book quickly and be part of the book signing. And I never got back to it. And um, so so I did have a blog. I do have Facebook pages. I have a Facebook page on the ancestors are smiling. I have a Facebook page on the Otho Williams and his wife. Um, and so on those Facebook pages, I have some pictures of my trip, my April 2017 trip to Maryland, and it has pictures of, you know, where they live, the slave cabin, and pictures of the land they own. And uh, But it's, it's, right now it's a fa- more a Facebook page than a regular blog. Right. And also, Kathy, uh, since you have over 200 pages, how many words did you end up writing to come up to the 200-plus pages in your book? Wow. You know what? I can try to look. I know that the second book, the the slave book, is 278 pages, and I think that said 83,000 words. I just looked at it. I use a lot of graphics. To help tell the story, I have a lot of family tree images. I have timelines because it is very confusing. The slave part is very confusing. So there aren't as many words, considering it's an eight and a half by eleven book, and it only has eighty-three or so, or eighty-eight thousand words. So I think there's a go ahead. 83,000 words. And then there's a question back to the cover. Now, could you have gotten a, a matted cover, matted finish uh, versus the glossy on Lulu, or did it have to be glossy? I, um, I believe it has to be glossy. Now, I, I did several versions of my books on Lulu. I did the slave book. I did, you know, I did several because it's so cheap. It's so cheap. I'm telling you, it's cheap. <laughs> Um, and, I and hear you. <laughs> and they were all shiny, but they were cool. It just depends. It's just the final one that I, the final cover is, is I think you can see it on the picture on, on the screen. It's a deep green, and it just, it just didn't look good on that. And I don't think Lulu offers a matte finish. But you could check. But I love right. also the feel of this, the feel of this. I'm not a matte girl. I'm a gloss girl, believe me. But I love this. I absolutely loved it. I would try Lulu first. I absolutely would recommend trying that first. It's a little more, I won't say friendly because they're both friendly. They're both good. But I, I don't know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try Lulu for the second book. 
Right, right. Well, I mean, it's a challenge to everyone, and I'm so glad to see so many people in the chat room tonight because you're doing all this research. You're writing, even if you have these blogs, turn your blogs into your book. Yes. Because you already have the information and add, as you said, some graphics, some pictures, Mm -hmm. and publish it and see what it looks like. And I I can imagine that feeling, just opening up the box and there's the book. Yeah. How exciting. I mean, Susan, I'm looking at Susan. Susan, you have written so much. You can put it in a book, really, Susan. (laughs) You are a great writer. And so here's uh, uh, Griot. She says, I've been trying to write a family history book for two years now and still collecting information. Kathy, Mm -hmm. at what point did you decide that enough was enough and you should go ahead and publish? Um, At the beginning, when I laid it out at the beginning, when I did my initial goal, my initial goal was to find the parents and the slave owner of my second great-grandfather. That was my goal. I met the goal at the four-month mark. It was hard, but I met the goal at the four-month mark. And then I got greedy. And then I said, oh, well, I'm, I'm going to try for the third generation, the three times great grand. And I found them. And then I got greedy, and I said, well, can I find the slave owner of the third? And I got greedy. But I had the opportunity to participate in a book signing. And that's what gave me the impetus, cut this sucker in half, make a separate book for the ancestors are smiling, go with it. But as I say, the deadline for doing that was July 3rd of 2017. But that was the day I finally got to talk to great uncle Charles Williams. And so I talked with him for two and a half hours, thanks to his lovely wife, Margaret, and his son, um, Bob. I got to talk with him, and his, his story was so compelling that I wrote a whole chapter on him that night. I got them to edit it, and I stuck that sucker in the book, and I sent it for printing right away. So in, I, in my case, I was lucky. I got someone that stopped it. Now, with this other book, the follow-on, the slave book, I'm about at the stage where I'm going to stop it. I'm just going to stop it. I found so much wonderful, exciting information. I just don't know that I want to keep going. I'm burned out. <laughs> mhm. Mhm. Well, it's wonderful, it, you know, to just to have you tell tell everyone. You know, there's a point where you just need to stop it, yep. write it, and publish it. And, and I'm in the I same learned. boat. You know, I'm in the same boat because I have I, I have all of my chapters written, and and now I'm trying to go for the perfection thing now, and I have to get my editor, but. I yes. know what needs to happen now. I, I definitely do. And it, and it did help to be a part of the genealogist writing uh, room. So, Kathy, do you have any parting words for us? Um, well, I was able to thankfully cover a lot of those parting words, but try, try, try just doing the book format that, that I shared with you. Try to do that. Um, and then just plug in whatever you've already written. Those bloggers, you already have a blog, you plug that stuff into the correct chapter, um, and you will be so happy and surprised. Um, I also would like to share that it's really, really recommended. I recommend, and not just me, a lot of folks on Our Black Ancestry have a family tree that is online and public. And the reason I say that is if you are trying to find connections to your family, especially when you get into the slave years, 
having a family tree online that is public, that people can see. Remember, you're, the living people, if you have Ancestry.com, living people are not shown. You can't see living people's information. I understand about privacy concerns, but you can't see living people's information. And I got so much great information from people seeing my family tree. So um, I also am having a book signing on January 27th at Underground Books in Sacramento, California. So if any of you are in the area, please stop by in the afternoon. And also we're having an African-American Family History Symposium on March 10th. And I've been asked to talk about this topic, how to write and self-publish a book of family stories. So if you're in the Sacramento area, please stop by. And also tell people how can they get a copy of your book. Oh, well, you can go to <laughs> you can go to amazon.com, that's the easiest way, or you can uh, just go to my website which is www.kanika k a n i k a marshall m a r s h a l l.com and just go to the books page and I'll be happy to autograph it for you. That's a nice way if you buy it from the website you get an offer autograph if that matters. If that matters, like some people like to buy them for book uh, for gifts and want it autographed. That's right. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you so much, Kathy, for bringing in the new year and for yeah. encouraging everyone to write and pub- self-publish that family story. Mm-hmm. And I just want to thank you for your knowledge and your enthusiasm. And, and sharing this information with us tonight. And everyone else, please remember your ancestors left footprints. Therefore, you should follow the clues that are presented to you through oral history, family records, and research at the National Archives and beyond. You can continue this discussion on the Research at the National Archives and Beyond and Afrogenius Facebook pages, and also remember to listen to the African Roots podcast with Angela Walton Raji, and also watch for the Black Progen Live with host Nika Soul-Smith. Thank you so very much for joining Research at the National Archives and Beyond, and we look forward to you joining us next week. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and co-host, Patricia Glover Howard. Good night, everyone. Good night, Kathy. Good night. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye.
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.